You're listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Dulavan Barwari. This episode features a discussion with Ms. Sherry Kram Talabani, the President and Executive Director of Seed Foundation Kurdistan, a charitable organization that promotes social, educational, and economic development and provides humanitarian assistance in Iraqi Kurdistan. Ms. Kram Talabani was a senior official in the United States government for almost 15 years, working on foreign policy, foreign assistance programming, and international development. But first, I will give you a brief news update on the latest developments. March is Kurdish History Month, so I'll begin with Kurdistan. This episode's news update is extraordinary for several reasons. It falls in March, the Kurdish History Month, a month of celebrations and sorrows. To begin with, March 1st is the birthday of General Mustafa Barzani, the father of the Kurdish movement, and his passing also falls on March 14th. Moreover, the Iraqi government and the Kurdistan Democratic Party, led by General Mustafa Barzani, signed the autonomy agreement on March 11, 1970. The agreement promised autonomy to three Kurdish provinces, and the Kurdish language was recognized as an official language. On a more somber note, the Iraqi Air Force bombed the city of Halabja with chemical weapons on March 16, 1988, killing more than 5,000 people and injuring more than 10,000 in a genocide that is commemorated every year to this day. Despite this tragedy, March is also a month of joy and celebration. Nowruz, the Kurdish New Year, is on March 21st. Nowruz symbolizes renewal, hope, and joy, as well as resistance. The fire of Nowruz plays a central role in festivities as a symbol of freedom from tyranny. But what made March 2021 extraordinary was the historic visit of His Holiness Pope Francis to the Kurdistan region and Iraq. The Pope arrived in Baghdad on Friday, March 5th, for what he described as his pilgrimage of peace. And on March 7th, His Holiness visited the autonomous Kurdistan region where top Kurdish leaders and a jubilant crowd waving olive branches welcomed him. Later, he held a mass at the Franco Hariri Stadium for nearly 10,000 attendees. The visit shone a light of hope over everyone, but most of all, over the Christians of Iraq who have faced persecution for so long. Turning to Erbil-Baghdad relations. After several rounds of meetings by the KRG delegation, headed by Deputy Prime Minister Qubat Talabani and Iraqi government and parliamentary officials, it seemed that an agreement on the federal budget law was imminent and the law would pass. But the planned parliament session on March 20th for a vote on the budget bill was postponed because some parties attempted to make last-minute changes, which would have allowed Baghdad to punish Erbil more severely if it didn't strictly abide by the law. The vote is now expected to take place on March 27th. Pivoting to the economy. Prime Minister Masoud Barzani and Deputy Prime Minister Qubat Talabani convene a meeting with Kurdistan region's High Council for Investment. The main agenda was eliminating unnecessary bureaucracy in government offices and accelerating investment by digitizing the process. Turning to the humanitarian front. On March 17th, a Turkish airstrike killed three civilians near a refugee camp in the mountainous Mahmoud region. Also, in recent months, Christian villages in Duhok province say sporadic Turkish airstrikes have prevented them from living a normal life, 
forcing many to abandon their villages. Turning to the KRG representations activities in the U.S. Our mission hosted an online commemoration on March 16th for the Halabja genocide. We were honored to be joined by Shilam Fatah, who survived the chemical bombardment in 1988, but lost her father and saw many neighbors and friends die. Other speakers included Iraq's ambassador to Washington, Farid Yassin, and State Department's Acting Assistant Secretary for the Middle East, Joy Hood, as well as former U.S. Ambassador Peter Galbraith and Senator Chris Van Hollen. You can see a recording of the event on YouTube. Also this month, Representative Bayan Sami Abdurrahman met with several members of Congress, including Adam Smith, Chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, to update them on developments in Kurdistan and to discuss U.S. support for the Peshmerga. She discussed issues of religious freedom and the situation for refugees and IDPs in a briefing with the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom and in a meeting with U.S. aid and State Department. She also met virtually with U.S. Department of Energy to discuss Kurdistan's oil and gas sector and issues related to climate change and renewable energy. Wrapping up the new segment with culture. Ancient vases were found by builders in Erbil in mid-March. Construction workers at Shawa's settlement uncovered the artifacts, which archaeologists say date back 1,700 years. And now, the interview with Sherry Crown Talabani, the president and executive director of the Seed Foundation. Welcome to the Kurdistan in America podcast, Mrs. Talabani. Let's begin with the Seed Foundation. You're the founder and president of the organization. So I want to know, how did SEED come about? Well, thank you for doing the show. And um, I'm really happy to, to tell you. I started working on Iraq in 1998 um, for the U.S. State Department. And I made my first visit to Kurdistan in 1999. So I have a long connection to Kurdistan and its people. I spent my 15-year career um, in the U.S. government working on so many issues across the world that are so related to um, life in Kurdistan, post-conflict stabilization, economic development, democracy and governance, women's rights. So when I moved to Kurdistan in 2012, we decided to open seed. My my friend and longtime uh, partner, Tanya Gilishailani, um, so we can figure out how could we contribute to Kurdistan's development and to make lasting change to improve people's lives. Now, the website says SEED's mission is to protect, empower, and support the recovery of survivors of violence and others at risk. What does that mean in practical terms? Well, as I'm sure you know, everybody in Kurdistan and Iraq has been impacted by violence, by war, by persecution. Um, So this latest crisis in 2014 with ISIS, which led to widespread displacement and genocide, is just the latest in a really long line of uh, challenges that Kurdistan has faced. And so everybody has been impacted by violence, trauma, and violence has become normalized in Iraq. So whether we're talking about in the home or in the street or in the way we resolve political conflict, um, This is an area that's impacting everybody's life. And so we tackle violence in three ways. You know, first we focus on systemic and social change. So strengthening protections for vulnerable people, strengthening laws, policies, 
um, creating awareness, providing technical assistance to government in key areas to strengthen uh, their protection of vulnerable people. The second area is we provide comprehensive services to those impacted by violence. So mental health, case management services, legal services, uh, psychosocial support services. And we do this with individuals and communities. So um, with women, men, and children, with um, displaced communities, with the host community, with migrants. We work on gender-based violence, survivors of tra trafficking, human trafficking, uh, victims of persecution, and people that have um, a range of, of uh, social needs. So that's our services. And then we um, work on training and education, and we're doing that to improve um, services and protections by government actors. Um, and we also train other NGOs and individuals that are engaging in the services that we engage in so that people in Kurdistan receive the best quality protections and services um, to improve their lives and to help them to recover, um, uh, recover from violence and conflict. My next question is about the situation with the Yazidi community. As you know, Yazidis have had a tragic history, experiencing numerous genocides, the most recent at the hands of ISIS. The Seed Foundation provides psychosocial services to the Yazidi victims who escaped or have been rescued from ISIS captivity. Please tell us a bit about your program. Yeah, so as you mentioned, the Yazidi community is a, it's a marginalized minority in Iraq that has faced many genocides. They have a lot of grievances and are discriminated against and have been discriminated against. There's been many genocides, the most recent in 2014. And in this, um, not only were uh, many, many thousands of people killed and buried in mass graves, but women and children were taken into uh, enslavement, whether um, uh, for labor or sexual enslavement or as child soldiers. They were trafficked and abused, exposed to horrendous violence. So we provide uh, comprehensive services to the community, um, to those that were in captivity and to those that were displaced, um, long-term mental health services to help them recover from the trauma that they experienced, case management to help ensure that they have access to basic needs, education, livelihoods, um, legal services to address their documentation needs. Um, so a range of services to help them um, to improve their well-being, to improve the well-being and health of their family. We also uh, address medical needs. So those are our services. And we also do a lot of advocacy on their behalf. Um, as a, you may know, the Yazidi Survivors Law was just passed by the Iraqi parliament. This is a really important uh, bill, which is uh, there to provide services to survivors, protections, um, and to help them recover from what they've experienced. So we have done a lot of advocacy to help uh, try to meet uh, the needs of, of the individuals and the community, and we'll continue to do that advocacy. So we work both um, with individuals and communities, but also at a, at a more systemic level um, for, for greater change. Now, at the beginning of the conflict, um, when ISIS captured Mosul and Sinjar region, approximately 7,000 Yazidi women and children uh, were abducted 
and close to 4,000 have been rescued. Uh, what's the fate of the rest? I believe around 3,000 still remain captive. What is the KRG and the Iraqi government doing to rescue them? What's their status? So, um, you know, we don't know of, out of those that are missing how many remain in captivity and how many have, um, have died. Um, and it's a huge priority to investigate and, and find um, those that remain missing. And of course, as you know, um, there's an effort to uncover these mass graves and to identify those that are missing. Um, so that effort is underway. Um, the, the recovery of those in, that are in captivity has really slowed over the last few years. Um, and so we know that there are um, survivors um, in, in camps in Syria. We know that um, uh, there are people that have been uh, women and, and girls that have been trafficked in other parts of the world. Um, and so, you know, this is an, an area of advocacy that, that stronger efforts need to be made by the Iraqi government and, of course, the Kurdistan government um, it was involved in many, many rescues and uh, recovery when ISIS uh, controlled territory inside Iraq. Um, and so there really aren't opportunities right now um, that I can see to do the rescues. We need to investigate and find where these survivors are. Um, and we know that there are many in Al Hol camp in Syria. And I think that's, you know, that's something that the international community needs to help the uh, the acting government there in Rojava to identify um, uh, Yazidi citizens from Iraq and to bring them home. My next question is about women's rights or the role of women in Kurdistan region. You are a prominent woman in Kurdistan. In your own right, as the founder of Seed Foundation and as the wife of the Deputy Prime Minister Kakoba Talabani. Now, the KRG respects women's rights and promotes equality. What policies and laws have you found to be effective and what can the KRG do better? So there are really great laws on the books. Um, Kurdistan has one of the most progressive uh, domestic violence laws, the only law in the entire region, which um, uh, is there to uh, prevent and to respond to domestic violence and criminalize violence in the home. Um, so the law is very positive. Um, the government has set up many institutions to help implement the law, including uh, shelters and uh, the Department of Combating Violence Against Women and Children, which is a law enforcement unit, but also includes psychologists and case managers to help provide services. And so we have a partnership with them and we um we are doing training of these officers and psychologists and case managers so that they can provide the strongest protections. Um, there's a lot more that can be done. The laws can be strengthened. They've been in implementation for 10 years now, and we've found uh, improvements. So this year we'll be advocating for uh, a revised law. Um, and of course, implementation can be improved. And so this is uh, areas where we're providing technical assistance to see how um, these laws can be implemented consistently across Iraq and, I mean, in, across Kurdistan. And then we've got issues with the courts because um, the laws need to be enforced and the protections need to be enforced. 
Um, but the laws and the protections of government can only go so far. So what we really also need to focus on is society's views, because um, domestic violence and violence in the home against women um, is, is high. It's at 50% all across Iraq. So we need to focus on, um, on violence and people's views about violence and uh, women's equality and focus on fighting for, for gender equality because that these two pieces, views about violence and gender equality are at the heart of um, women's rights. Absolutely. Uh, now let's pivot to Washington and discuss your professional experience with the United States government. As you mentioned, you were a senior official for almost 15 years, from 1998 to 2012. And then you began your career with the State Department on Iraq from 98 to 2003, and later overseeing policy and programs worldwide. And you've been living in Kurdistan region for many years, and you're also the president and executive director of the Seed Foundation. So you are in every way an expert on Iraq, Kurdistan, and our neighborhood. Therefore, I want to know your thoughts on the U.S. foreign policy, especially what do you think the U.S. policy on Iraq and the Kurdistan region under the current administration, the Biden administration, will look like? Well, that's a really good question. So I think um, I think we've been reminded over the last several years that Kurdistan, for now, is very much a part of Iraq. Um, but there's more that can be done um, to ensure that Kurdistan is included as part of the budget included part of the decision-making of the country and that the protection of minorities, um, whether we're talking about Yazidi and Christian minorities that are displaced and living in Kurdistan or Kurdish minority, which is, you know, part of the beautiful diversity of Iraq, that minority rights are protected and that the constitution um, and, and minority rights and Kurdistan's rights in uh, the constitution are enforced. And I think, President Biden has had a long-standing involvement for 30 years in Iraq, maybe longer, and has has long been a supporter for uh, Kurdistan's autonomy. Um, and so I think that um, we need a strong U.S. engagement um, on the budget um, and, and how resources of the country work on um, the durable solutions for those that are displaced in Kurdistan um, and on a whole range of issues. And I've thought for a long time that uh, the U.S. relationship in Kurdistan has to go beyond the disputes with Baghdad. I think the U.S. can play such a strong role in mediating these disputes, but I think there's a whole range of other issues where a U.S., involvement in the economy and governance and promoting democracy and development. Um, and, and I should say that the U.S. is one of the biggest donors remaining in the Kurdistan region in terms of um, working with the, those that are displaced. And so that definitely should continue. And that's really important. In full disclosure, SEED is a recipient of U.S. funding, and, and they are one of the largest and most engaged um, governments here on these issues. So I think it's really important that the U.S. stay engaged um, and the U.S. Um, play a, a mediation role or a neutral role 
and ensure that the Constitution is implemented, help build trust and faith between um, the KRG and Baghdad, because I think there's a lot of distrust on both sides, and I think they can play a role in, in addressing that. And um, also addressing the longstanding issues of the disputed territories, which um, those issues are supposed to be resolved, and their uh, method for that is outlined in the Constitution. So I think all of these are really important parts of engagement. Great. And uh, now you mentioned the displaced people, and that takes me to the next question. What can the U.S. government do to help the Christians and Yazidis return to their homes, or at least facilitate their return? Yeah, so I think there's an effort underway to focus on durable solutions, you know, whether we're talking about greater protections for minorities, so it's safe for them to return home, um, building the infrastructure that is needed, um, providing access and getting over some of the structural challenges that Yazidis have always faced, um, getting access to government services, education, healthcare. So all of these are really important um, uh, supports that the, the U.S. is engaged in and should remain engaged in. I think we also need to remember that we still have a million displaced people in Kurdistan. And what that says is that people don't still feel safe to go home. And we've had many, many people return um, or try to return to Shengal, uh, Sinjar, and other areas. Um, but then they come back to Kurdistan because they don't find that they feel safe or that the that the um, infrastructure is sufficient there. So I think um, working on both of these fronts, providing services and support to those that remain in Kurdistan, um, whether they are going to remain part of the fabric of Kurdistan or go back to the places where they're from, they need extensive support. Um, livelihoods, access to education, medical needs are tr tremendous. And I think the implementation of the Yazidi survivors law that was just passed is a huge opportunity for advocacy for the U.S. and making sure that that law is implemented in Iraq um, in a safe and fair and equitable way. And I think the U.S. has also been an advocate on, on protection and uh, protection of minorities. And I think that advocacy is incredibly important. Absolutely. Very well said. Now let's talk about your experience in Kurdistan. How do you like living and working in Kurdistan region? Yeah, well, I, I love, um, I, I've loved my time here. Um, I, I feel like I am part of the fabric of society and I'm excited to be in a place where I could help um, people that are passionate and committed to their country um, to help them make change. Um, I'm inspired every day by the people that I work with. Um, my children, this is their home. This is all they know. They've, they've been raised here in Kurdistan. And I find the people generous and kind. Um, and I find it a really wonderful place to live with a rich cultural, rich history and, and um, wonderful food. Kurdistan is, is honored to have you. Thank you. Now we have reached the final segment of the interview where we, we ask our guests the same three questions. The first question is, when was the first time you heard about Kurdistan? Um, well, I learned about Kurdistan when I was in university and I was doing a comparative Middle East studies course 
and we each had a minority in the Middle East. I actually didn't get the Kurds. I got uh, the Druze. But my colleague um, uh, had to uh, present on Kurdistan, and that was the first time uh, that I started uh, working on those issues. And um, and then, of course, later when I started working on Iraq, I, I got to know it, Kurdistan in depth, and that was later in the, in the late 90s. That's pretty interesting. I believe you spent part of your time in the Kurdistan region when you were working for the U.S. government, if I'm not mistaken. So when I first started working on Kurdistan in 1999, um, my first day on the job was the day that the Washington Accord, the peace agreement between the PUK and the KDP was signed. And it was my honor to be part of that signing ceremony. Um, So that was in 1999. And I spent four years working on uh, Iraq and Kurdistan. And then I took a break for a few years. And then I lived in Baghdad in 2003. So I I was one of the first group of civilians that came with the U.S. coalition and um, spent that year here. And then um, so I have a long, long history with Kurdistan and Iraq, and I'm uh, deeply committed to its success and its prosperity and its peace. And now the second question. What is a word or phrase that sums up Kurdistan for you? Well, I think when I think the Kurdish people and how strong they are and the the history. I think of the word survival. People have been through so much um, and they're so resilient and they plug on through. Not only do they survive, but we've seen thriving. And, um, you know, we've seen a rich culture and generosity. But I think the the, the thing that impresses me most and encapsulates is, is survival. The Kurds have been discriminated against, persecuted. Um, There have been wars and they've been divided and separated, but yet they continue to survive. Finally, what's a word or phrase that sums up America for you? Huh. So um, maybe I can't say one word, but I'll say two, which is freedom and inclusion. Um, And I love the diversity of my country, America. And, um, and I love its inclusion. I think we've had some challenges with that in the last few years, but I hope that um, we will uh, continue to embrace the United States and America's diversity and, and embrace um, freedom and equality for everybody. Thank you for being on the program. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Kurdistan in America podcast, the official podcast of the Kurdistan Regional Government Representation in Washington, D.C. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on either Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. Also, for more information about the Kurdistan region, please visit our website at www.us.gov.krd or follow us on Twitter at krg_usa. USA.